0: Hello again, friends. Welcome to another episode of Nextra Presents. Today, Grant is talking with Lindsay Drake Nightingale from Yorkshire Garden Services. Lindsay is a delight to listen to, and she is full of knowledge and experience. She entered the landscape industry as a second career, and she's definitely making the most of it. She owns Yorkshire Garden Services, and they specialize in high-end residential landscape maintenance and installations in Toronto and York region. Lindsay has some great wisdom to share about company growth, company culture, staff issues, networking, and accessing resources available to the landscape industry. It's an episode full of insights, experiences, and transparency. So here's Grant's conversation with Lindsay Drake Nightingale.
1: Welcome everyone to the Next Represents podcast. I'm really excited today to talk to Lindsay Drake Nightingale from Yorkshire Garden Services on the podcast. I've known Lindsay for quite a few years through Landscape Ontario in our local uh, Landscape Ontario chapter and I'm just thrilled to have her on the podcast today and to share some of her wisdom with you and some of her perspective on what the industry is doing. So Lindsay, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks a lot, Grant. It's nice to be here.
1: So Lindsay, let's start us out just so the listeners get to know you a little bit. So how did you get involved in the landscape industry?
2: It is a sort of convoluted story. It is my second career or probably third career. I previously worked for the Canadian Diabetes Association and the MS Society and the VON and was a a manager of volunteer services for all of those organizations. And I just Burnt out. I really needed a change. So I quit cold turkey. Like I went home and told my husband at the time, and we're having dinner. I said, I quit today. And it's like, whoa, you know. And then uh, I immediately got a job actually at Valley View Gardens in the east end of Toronto and worked there for the summer and then applied to Humber College for their landscape technician program. So that was 23 years ago. Yeah.
1: When you decide to quit, what took you to the nursery? Just like a love of plants or it was just a job posting or what, what drew you over there?
2: Yeah, I have always had sort of a, a love of gardens. And when I was working for the CDA, there was, I was in Richmond Hill and there were all these little parkettes and parks and and I would wander around and I thought, yeah, this is the direction I should be going in. So when I quit, I knew I needed to fill my time those couple of months before school started with something. And I thought, okay, the best place to go is to a garden center where I can read tags and learn more about perennials and some shrubs and just sort of the green industry from, from a more business perspective. And I was drawn to Valley View. It was convenient too. I lived in Scarborough at the time, so yeah. Let's talk. It's easy to get. It was easy get to get to.
1: Very good, excellent. And then you did the what course again at Humber College?
2: I did the landscape technician program. Yeah, okay.
1: that's the two-year program.
2: Yeah, two years full time, doing my homework at the same time as my girls. Yeah.
1: Okay. Very good. So <laughs> excellent. And then after graduating from Humber, did you go back to the nursery?
2: No, I actually, for the co-op term, I worked for Moonstruck Landscape Lighting. Bob Tubby hired me and I worked with Carl and the team then. And then when I finished school, I ended up at Emerald Hills Golf Course as their head gardener. And I worked there for a couple of summers and then uh, got them all set up on the third summer. But I had already started my business by then and I just realized I had to leave there in order to to meet the needs of the clients that I was starting to obtain. so
1: Was Bob a professor that you had at Humbert, I'm assuming? Yeah,
2: he, he taught the estimating program. It was really intense. He was very, very good at it. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great program.
1: He taught me the landscape lighting basics and one other course as well there. I can't remember, but I can't So many people have been taught by Bob. It was incredible oh. how many Untar- landscape Ontario members have been in one of his courses. So that's awesome. Yes, yeah. So after the golf course, what was your thought process in starting your own business?
2: I always knew I wanted to run my own business, but I knew that I also needed some some experience. So by working on the golf course, golfers and clients would, would come up and say, hey, can you do a little bit with my garden? And it just sort of developed from there. And then when I really ventured out, Bob Tubby actually referred me to my first client, my first large client in Toronto, who I still have down in Witchwood Park. So it was referrals through people from the golf course and it was referrals through Bob. And I did a garden with Fiona Ziba from Fiona's Garden Gate. We did a garden at Canada Bloom's. And it won Best Small Garden. And that garden win was a catalyst that just really shot the company into a different level. We gained so many referrals from there that that really pushed us up through to doing it full time with more than just two staff. And yeah, that's great.
1: And when you started, what was the focus of the business?
2: It hasn't really changed. Well, maybe it has a bit. I started off thinking I would do design design install softscapes. And then I realized just again, with me being so nitpicky in my designs, it was taking way too much time. We were using Dynascape. That's, we were the first class that started using it. I wanted to carry on using it, but it just was so time consuming that I thought, okay, I can't do design. I can refer my design stuff. I can refer clients. So that's what I did. And I concentrated on residential landscape maintenance. So, we still do, and we've been doing for over 20 years now. So, fine garden care, potscaping, as I call it, installation and renovation, and tulip planting, bulb planting, tree and shrub installations as well. But our primary thing is maintenance, high end residential maintenance, and installation.
1: Okay. And what type of service area are you working in currently?
2: We have pockets in Toronto. So we work primarily in Rosedale, Witchwood Park, Etobicoke, a little bit in North Toronto. And so we have these pockets, service area pockets more than anything. And then we do a fair chunk now in York Region. So we're, we're in Woodbridge. We have a pocket in Woodbridge. Generally, when we're in York Region, they're larger properties, more estate-sized properties. So a a crew will spend a day there or, you know, two days a week or whatever. So we're in Toronto two to three days a week, and then we're in York Region two to three days a week, depending on the week. So it's pretty well split now.
1: Okay. So what would be an ideal client for you currently?
2: Somebody that doesn't want to get their hands dirty that wants a garden that looks beautiful. Perhaps they have had the whole thing redone and they have a brand new installation with hardscaping and softscapes and they want it to look the same, like they, they want it to be well-maintained. They've just spent money on creating something beautiful and they want that to be maintained. Sort of from a demographic point of view, our clients are predominantly women over 40 working and have discretionary funds to spend. So that's generally who our clientele is, you know, it fluctuates on both sides of that as well. But, but that's sort of the middle of the road. That's where it is.
1: Okay. And over the last couple of years, like maybe just take out COVID because everyone's been so busy during COVID. Yeah. How how would those clients necessarily find you? Because it's a fairly niche market, right? Like it's not, it sounds like people aren't calling you to get their grass cut. They're getting you to look after their gardens. Yeah. So how has the business grown in that niche that you've created?
2: It's funny because it's always been word of mouth. And then I redid the website again and worked with a company out of Guelph called Intrigue Media and then started working you know, with all the Google Analytics and all of that stuff that's way beyond my brain power. And through all the Google stuff and all of that analytics stuff, they, I had more clients coming through the website to the point where I was inundated with people. I actually told them, stop, you you have to turn it right down. We're just overwhelmed with interest. And then winning the National Award for Residential Maintenance, that bumped up our company to the next level. And again, people were like, wow, they're an award winner. We want them doing our garden. So there was a lot of referral out of that, whether they saw it on the website or whether they saw it in media. But it is hard. Like growth is really hard. Even with COVID, we grew so much during COVID and and we're still struggling with that huge growth this year.
1: I do want to get back to the growth and the pain with that. Yeah. So Lindsay, what is your current role within the business today?
2: I'm president. So I'm primarily responsible for sales in the initial meeting with our clients or our potential clients. I do the the meet, I go and I do an estimate, I put together the proposal and send it back to them. Ninety percent of the time I'm here at the office when the crews start in the morning. So they start fairly early. In the in the summer we start at six. In the side ends fall and spring we start at six thirty. So that I'm always seeing at least the team leaders just to sort of keep on top of that as well. But I have a woman that's been with me for about five years now and she's the ops manager. So she takes care of all the staffing stuff. So I primarily do the network and the client customer interface, I guess is what you could call it. So, so it just kind it of give too. you
1: some sort of range of how big the business is at, like how many crews would you have out? What's a yeah. average crew size?
2: Yeah. You know, this is again, the whole growth thing. So Ideally, in an ideal world, we should have about 10 or 11 or 12. We have eight right now. Mm-hmm. I would love to have it slightly larger just because I find that the crews I've got right now are overworked. But again, that's a whole other issue is talking about recruitment and the labor force and all of that. So generally, we have between eight and the high I've had is 14. So I'd really like it a little bit more in the middle.
1: Yeah. All right. And then what does the next year look like for you? Do you want to grow? Or are you thinking like, what's your strategic plan for the next 12 months?
2: It's funny you talk about that because I was just talking with Alisa. She's the ops manager about what we're going to be doing as soon as we shut down. We're not going to wait till the later in the winter, we're gonna do it in December. And that's re-looking, re-examining our whole plan and our processes and our hiring and everything for next year. So to sort of talk about it right now, it's like, well, I just be off the top of my head. But but we realized this year was a really tough year. There was a lot of stuff. We coasted through the two years of COVID. We really did well and we coasted. And then everything sort of hit the fan this year. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. Everything from COVID going through the staff more than once and death in people's families and trucks breaking down and, you know, not getting supplies. And so it was a tough year, but it's a one in 20 year. So by taking some of those negative things that happen and how we can look at processes to deal with them moving forward. So that's part of our whole strat plan and where we are going say for the next 20 years or whatever but it is part of our thoughts for our development that we're going to be carrying out in December so it's like we'll see what happens with that right like it's been as I said posting through two years of COVID was quite a surprise yeah but now everything is like let's work on
0: it
1: Mm -hmm. so we're just going to take a quick break for one of our sponsors and we'll be right back
0: We are grateful for this year's podcast sponsor, Jim Pattison Lease. This year, Jim Pattison Lease celebrates its 60th anniversary. It was 60 years ago that Jim Pattison leased his first vehicle through Jim Pattison Pontiac Buick. And since then, they've expanded and opened offices across the country, always with the goal of helping local business. They provide exceptional service through all their fleet solutions, whether that be leasing, expert industry knowledge, data capturing and online reporting, or fuel and maintenance networks. Jim Pattison Lease specializes in outfitting, so they can deliver your vehicle totally complete with equipment and decals and rust-proofing. Basically, it's ready to go the moment it gets delivered. They provide personal service and flexible leasing options, offering lease structures and terms that will optimize your vehicle spend. They provide full support to your vehicle management cycle, including remarketing your used vehicles. The remarketing staff will ensure you're provided with the best opportunities to maximize the resale value on your lease returns. They also offer an online reporting system. It is effective and easy to use and a great way to manage your fleet of light-duty cars and trucks. For the last 60 years, Jim Patterson Lease has grown because their commitment to their core values has not wavered. Those core values are integrity, quality, and customer service. These are the values that define the way they do business and the way they treat their clients. And we can personally attest to that. So whatever your fleet needs may be, we highly recommend you contact Wendy Ladd at Jim Pattison Lease. You can reach her at 416-417-5233 or L A D D at jplease.com. Again, it's 416 417 5233 3, or wendy.lad at jplease.com. And now, back to Grant.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to the Next Represents podcast. And it's my pleasure to be having this great conversation with Lindsay and uh, just talking about her business and what's happening. We got a couple topics to talk about right after the break. But yeah, so Lindsay, you talked about growth in the business so mm-hmm. the one thing I have from talking to you and seeing your business from the outside is that you've been very strategic with the type of client you do like the garden work like that's mm-hmm. been kind of your niche and that's what you have be able to do where most contractors don't say a no enough and I'm assuming that you've had lots of opportunities you've probably had lots of opportunities to get in the hardscape world and, and of course because it's always people are like you always do good work so people want to move you and and get you to do other stuff. So can you talk a little bit about that? And then maybe how does that affect the growth of the business?
2: Right. It's funny, because we have a client service tech end of it. So if a client has a pathway that's kind of uneven, we would be able to fix it. But we wouldn't remove everything, re-level it, do anything. We do the sort of the soft side of hardscapes, (laughs) we'll do that. And basically, we do it for our existing clients. Like if they have a a gate that's uneven, we'll fix it for them. If they have, you know, something that needs to be leveled, we'll fix it for them. So we'll do that traditional handyman client service Mm -hmm. tech end of things to help out our client. And that is as a result of a few of our clients that are older going, do you know of a handyman? Do you know of somebody that can do this? And, and me just saying, yeah, we can get it done for you. Let us do it. We'll do it. But predominantly, we've stayed garden specific. I've tried not to stray too far. And, and it's because I have a network. So whether or not I refer to X design bill company or Y, I have a network of people that have the expertise and will do the work that we don't do, but I'm totally comfortable referring them to this fencing company or to this contractor or this lighting company or arborist. So it's building on knowing your own expertise and that of your staff, and then knowing the expertise of a core group of contractors. And that's what makes our business unique. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to be everything for everybody.
1: Is that something naturally you came by? Like, you know, when people do ask you and say, hey, can you do a patio for me? Because you get those requests, obviously.
2: Is that
1: always been something? Because again, like a lot of our contractors will just say yes to everything because Mm -hmm. they asked, right? And they're like, well, yeah, we should get into that, right? So
2: yeah, yeah. So you sort of stumble into it. And I've made a conscious decision not to do that. So they'll go, well, we just need a little thing done. I'm going, yeah, no, we're not doing that little thing for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care. But but again, it's the, the rapport I have with the contractor and I'll say, okay, it's this size job. They need it done by six months out. It's a day job where they can fit it in. Or if it's a big, huge one and I'm doing an honest to God referral and sending them the whole thing and we come in afterwards and do the softscape. So it's the rapport and the networking you have with your contractors. I think that's really important. And again, it's just knowing our niche is gardens mm-hmm. and we don't have to be everything to everybody. I have, a, I have a couple of lawn people. They cut the lawns for my clients. We don't even do lawns. Yeah. Just no snow, no lawns, no, <laughs> no construction.
1: <laughs> that's what I think that makes you unique. In that you have been able to say no and to mm-hmm. build that referral network and to be able to trust other people that you have built relationships with, because yeah, like we just see too many contractors trying to be all things all people and chase chase every dollar, and then yes. at some point you get so watered down that you're not known for anything, right? Yeah, and then you're just chasing everything, and then nothing becomes profitable, nothing becomes normal, right? Yeah, so just every day is something different, so.
2: And it's true. I drive up and down the 404 and I passed a truck yesterday and I I won't say the name of the company, but I'm going, it said eaves troughing, fences, gardens, trees, you know, it had every imaginable service you could do listed on the truck. And I'm going, holy jumping, do you do any of them? Well, (laughs) you know, like, Yeah. yeah, like you said, just totally watered down. Yeah.
1: So the growth in the business that you've had the last couple of years, Growth is always exciting for most entrepreneurs, but it does come with some pain or side effects or some scars, typically, for those of us who have been there. Give us some history on kind of as the company's grown, what have you learned along the way?
2: That staff will burn out really quickly. Your growth has to happen at the same time as your ability to get staff. And that's that whole referral thing, knowing when to say no to a client. Sorry, we can't deal with you with your property until next year. If you're willing to wait, we'll help you next year. So I've been fortunate to link in with a couple of really good programs, whether it's through the apprenticeship program or through the Grow program out of Landscape Ontario. So getting students and and getting pre apprenticeship students, apprenticeship students, they've definitely augmented the business and often they'll stay. They'll stay for a number of years or they'll stay for a lot of years. So it's just building that network of contacts through areas where labour is accessible. Part of the issue that we do have is because we do not do snow, there's always that potential to lose to lose staff because we don't do service in, from mid-December to mid-March. So there's that lull where people have that. But we look at other programs that are available through government subsidy and linking them up with other parts of the profession, whether it's snow and they want to do snow. There's a couple of companies that that's all they do is snow. They get staff from other companies to come work for them in the winter and then they go back out to their, uh, their regular companies in the summer, spring, summer, fall. So there's, there's links like that. But that's, that does make it difficult for, for having staff and, and holding staff is what are they going to do in the winter?
1: Mm -hmm. And that's been an industry issue we've had for so many years, right? And I think so many people don't want to do snow just because it is so hard on your personal life. So they start getting into it. But then sometimes it doesn't help, right? Just doing it is just for the sake of doing it isn't necessarily good. So so you had said, I think the key phrase of that when you started this was measuring steady growth based on the staff's ability or Mm -hmm. staff availability. Yeah. How do you measure that? you've obviously been like, oh, we crossed the line. That yes. was, that was too much. So for the <laughs> yes. owner out there, that's like, i never thought of this before. Like, how do I measure that? What are the key signs? What are you hearing from the staff? Tell us some stuff. And hopefully now I'm assuming you know what that line is now, or you're, you can see the, some of those yeah. before you get there, but.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I know I'm at it right now and we can't take any more work on you know, you're looking at how many hours there are in a week, how many hours per crew, you're looking at all of those sort of metrics, right. But then you also have to account for rain days, sick days. And this year, it's just been all over the place. So it's like, you know, I, I have done all different sort of case scenarios. So okay, if I have two crews, and there's six, one of them gets sick, okay, what's that going to do? So it's, As much as you rely on the data that you've built up over the years, you sometimes end up flying by the seat of your pants. People will say, oh, you don't. No, you don't. I'm going, oh, yeah, you do sometimes. We're human and our staff are very human. I've been saying a little bit is that with the way this year's been going, I haven't had a complete crew since April. When I'm looking at all my metrics and stuff, I'm doing it as the worst case scenario this year. Whereas in the past, it's been fine. I've had three and a half full crews. So we've been able to do so much more work this year because it's been two crews or one crew, you know, depending on the day, it's really impinged on on our growth.
1: What are the key signs you're hearing from the staff? If you were to say, like, for an owner who's listening in, do you have a metrics that you're like, okay, I'm going in, in the morning, I'm hearing this, or I'm seeing this, or... Like you said, I'm almost burning out the cruise right now. So what does that look like? What do those pre signs look like?
2: Yeah, I think a lot of it is I was touching on it briefly with Alisa is that I have some staff that are going, oh, we need to make more money. And I'm going, Okay, where's this coming from? Because we we pay well. We give long weekends. We pay for courses. We we do a lot of staff incentive things and I'm going wow this is really different like where what's the impetus for this all of a sudden this crush for money and you're looking okay it's the economy food's expensive i found out you know like one staff is trying to raise first and last month's rent and but also pay for a course and i'm going okay so how how do we make it easier for our staff to make a living wage or above living wage and be able to take care of sudden expenses. So when you start to hear sort of not really grumblings, but sort of more statement of fact, this is what is affecting them, you have to stand back and go, okay, what can we do not to babysit or to mother them, but what can we do to help come up with solutions and and work together as a, a strong team? So it's always coming back with our crews to how can the team work more efficiently, work smarter, still meet their obligations at home without feeling like they're burning out. I've had staff that have said they come to work because this is their safe space. So mental health is a huge issue. So we're always very cognizant of mental health issues and and how people are feeling. I know it sounds kind of touchy-feely, but we do. We touch base with everybody daily just to see how they're doing.
1: Again, I think this is the advantage that you would have as being a female owner versus a male owner because male owners are typically and not to stereotype, but most of us male owners are not good with feelings. We're good with, you know, direction and, and, yeah. and, and production. But, you know, what are those questions? What are those habits you're doing to make sure you're connecting with the staff?
2: Right. For whoever is running the company, I think it one of the most crucial things is communication and the questions you ask and leaving them as open-ended questions and not just saying, well, oh, how are you doing? Fine. No, it's like, oh, what have you been doing this today? How was your weekend? What did you do on the weekend? Asking about their situation. How's your dog? How's your spouse? Whatever, right? And you're not being nosy. You're seeing how they're doing. And, and I think that whether you're Male, female, binary, you, you can ask a question to find out how your staff member's doing. I think part of it is, is when a few years ago when we were developing the core values, it came out of there. Wellness came out of there and taking care, being available, listening. We've had situations in the past where a negative, something very negative happened and, and I was never told about it. And it went on for over two years and it was harassment and it was a team leader harassing all of my young staff. And it took so long to come out that out of that, I realized, oh, I have to be very in tune with them. I have to listen to what they're telling me, not go, oh, I already heard the team leader already told me. Mm -hmm. Listening to the staff and what they're saying, not just their team leads. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Listening is crucial.
1: So is that kind of your goal on the morning startup? Like you said at the beginning of the podcast, you had said that you're kind of there in the morning. Is that what your goal is, is just to be there and listen to them? And Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. You know, and there's always things like, oh, somebody left the door open. So the temperature in here dropped to 15 last <laughs> night. It's like, okay, don't forget, you have to close the doors. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there's a little bit of that. And I'm going, this is because it's freezing in here today. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So there's a little of that. But really, it's to just see how everybody's doing. Like, you can't leave it all up to the ops manager to get the feel all the time, because I need to be able to touch base with her as well, as well as the other staff.
1: So, Mm -hmm. So that was the point I guess I was looking for was mm-hmm. with so many contractors, if you do have an operations manager out there, that seems to be for a lot of owners, they can almost disconnect with the staff and that's their freedom because the yes. staff, especially this year, the staff are needy and yeah. that's just the culture we live in right now. Right. Everyone is needing more attention and, yeah. and needing to be cared for. But I see just that disconnect between owners and operations people and, and most operations people are typically, people pleasers, like they're trying to please the boss and they're trying to please the staff and they get stuck in this middle and they're always trying to report you know, the good things that are happening to the owner, because if they report something bad, it looks bad on them. Like they feel like they're a failure by not, you know, helping. So if you do have an operations manager like yourself, I'm just, I plead with owners right now, just go out in the morning and don't worry about giving direction. Like empower your operations guy to do that, but just be there to either hand out coffee, you know, just ask them how they're doing. And, And that can be a huge way where people feel comfortable coming to you. If there is an issue, and that's awesome. So congratulations, yeah. Lizzie. Yeah. And that.
2: and Thank you cool. nailed it. Like my ops manager, really, sometimes it's like, it's okay, you can tell me, you know, it's I can take the bad, I can take the good, I won't freak out, you yeah. know, I might yeah. go, mm, but it goes away pretty quickly. And definitely uh, likes to make sure that everything is smooth yeah so that's,
1: what, that's what you've hired them to do, right is to make yeah. that transition smooth. but that person also needs to make mistakes and they need to run it differently than you do yes and, and so again, it's being supportive, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, it is it's great and it really is the best thing I did was to have her doing that role. I hope that next year there's even more of it because we've been short staffed. she's been doing a lot more of field work, but I'd really like to try and get her to be able to do more of the more of the admin end of the team stuff yeah it's been great
1: the one thing and maybe just a verification of this I guess is like Mm -hmm. we've heard from a lot of contractors that attendance has been really really bad this year and and not bad attendance like not like just no show no call but just weird attendance I guess issues have you seen that for your staff
2: absolutely that's like I was saying before I haven't had a full crew since April it's they're all good excuses it's i understand the rationale behind why they're not coming in or or what's going on with them but yeah it is brutal this year yeah
1: Yeah. we had a peer group a couple weeks ago and, and we had asked the peer group members to just go back and track attendance and again it's just like all legitimate like when you talk about it there's nothing that's like Oh, my grandmother died. And, and you know, that we've been counting. This is your fourth grandmother that's died now. Like all legitimate. Yeah. Like, yeah, I totally understand. But it just seems to be a higher rate of that this last year. So if you are a yeah. contractor right there, definitely track your attendance and, and uh, keep track of that because it does allow you to figure that out. But it's not necessarily things you've done. I think it's just it is what's going on right now and within yeah. not our industry, but just general industries. So, Lindsay, obviously, you know, recruiting labor has Mm -hmm. been hard. And again, not just within our landscape industry, but everywhere, everywhere you look right now. So what are some of the things on top of some of the government programs you've been able to do, the grow program, apprenticeship programs? What else have you been able to do or think outside the box to help recruit more staff?
2: A little bit was it was an incentive bonus for staff that brought somebody in. So so that's worked. The last couple of years, we've had a staff member say, hey, I know so-and-so or I have this person. I'm going, perfect. And they've worked. Like they have yeah. worked out because, because the initial staff member is committed to gardening, is committed to what they're doing. So their enthusiasm goes out to the person they're recruiting and they get enthusiastic. So you've got that enthusiasm coming back into the business and it's it's what you're looking for. You want somebody with a positive attitude that enjoys being outside in all kinds of weather and is willing to learn if they, if they don't have the actual garden-specific skill. They're willing to learn and be coached and mentored. And whether or not they carry on and go to school further, that's also a bonus. So internal referral has worked really well for us. And there's a bonus for the person that comes in and a bonus for the person that recruits them. So...
1: So do you mind sharing what that bonus is? Like, you know, what is the dollar for? How do you pay it out?
2: Yeah, so we did a bonus, for instance, for returning staff. We did it as $200 for the first three months. Like say they started in April, they'd get one on their second paycheck, and then they'd get one on the fourth paycheck, and then they'd get one on the sixth paycheck. They'd get a 200 bonus. And it's same same sort of idea for when they recruited as well. There was a $200 bonus.
1: Okay. Yeah. And do you think the money has helped that, or do you think just maybe it was more of the culture that has it's, helped that?
2: It's the culture here. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So, being your role at Landscape Ontario and talking with other contractors, what do you think is unique about your culture that you have that you're you're allowing people to stay longer, come back when you don't have winter work for them? What have yeah. you done specifically?
2: It's funny because we've talked about it in peer to peer as well. What it is, and it's just. Culture is funny, eh, because it's driven by your core values. It's driven by your mission statement, but it ultimately comes down to how people gel, right? How they get along, how how the team leads lead their crew, how they interact outside of work, if they interact outside of work. Yeah. And, and just what kind of attitude they have. So that's really what brings people back. And it's like I said before, more than one of my staff have said that this is their safe place. So whatever's happening in the world outside, they know they can come here and they have respect and they have care and they are valued and they have a job or a career that they really like and is appreciated. So I think that if they come into that environment and they feel safe and they enjoy it, then then they will come back. Like I know that we have some staff that travel a great distance and I know that that's really hard on them. And that's something that they have to figure out whether or not they are able to come back because of the distance they're traveling because adding extra hour and a half on each end of the day after working 10 hours. Mm -hmm. But that is something they'll figure out. But part of the reason why they don't leave is because they like the culture and the interaction of everybody. So so I think that those are the big things: is how they feel, where they work, and that they have a great attitude.
1: Mm-hmm. I think the key, and you've mentioned it twice, and I think it's there's a higher percent of people that a lot of us. I did. I grew up in a you know safe home. Home was a place where I enjoyed going to, but for a lot of people now, that's not true, right? And yeah. if you didn't grow up in that type of atmosphere. You just assume that people, like, yeah, when people leave at the end of the day and they're going home to a safe spot, right? They're going home to a warm, loving, there's not enough food in the table or like that. But, yeah, the cultures that you can make a create a safe place can draw a lot of people in. And a lot of times those people are very loyal as well, Mm -hmm. right? Because they are spending eight hours in a safe environment. So I think it's really important to look at that. But if you don't come from that environment, then it's hard to even understand that.
2: Yeah, a number of my staff are from marginalized communities. So we provide the support as strongly as we can here. And often knowing that it can be really tough where they're living outside of our space here. Even interacting in the community that they, they live in and and the attitude they face outside of this space. So, yeah, it can be tough for some of our staff. And I just some of the stories I've heard are just like heartbreaking. So as long as we can make it purposeful and safe with everybody with a great attitude, then I've achieved everything.
1: So over the last 20 years that you've been doing this, any other good lessons that you've learned? There's tons obviously, but maybe yeah. one or two high level ones. And especially just like you to speak to maybe the contractor that's, you know, a couple of years into this, maybe three or four years into this and just being overwhelmed with maybe owning the business. And, and like you said, like this year has been a really, really tough year for all yeah. contractors, right? Not just landscape yes. contractors, but any piece of advice, any words of encouragement for them?
2: Yeah, definitely. I think the key, one of the, the strongest things is finding your network relying on your network getting involved and it doesn't even have to be as much as I would say yes landscape Ontario but as long as you're in with a business network or a peer group or perhaps it's through BDC you know the the government bank they have great networks as well so that you can bounce ideas off and get feedback so that whole building your network and getting involved in a network I think is so crucial for a new business owner and for everybody I like I still go to the Landscape Ontario peer to peer I still rely on on my group from there that we've cultivated a great friendship so I think that that's one of the crucial things and then knowing that you don't know everything so if you think you are an expert in everything to do with your business, you're wrong. So you need to rely on people that know how to run business, whether that's an accountant or a bookkeeper or an administrator or an ops manager, not being afraid to give that up in order to advance your business and make it stronger. I know there's this whole thing out there right now, and I I'm looking at it as well. There's virtual, EAs, there's real EAs. So it's not being afraid to delegate and just concentrating on what you're good at. If you're good at sales, then hire somebody that's good at HR. If you're good at the technical stuff, find somebody that can be your manager. It's analyzing who you are and what you hope to achieve. And I guess that kind of segues into my favorite book. <laughs> so when I first started up and it's probably in its like 400th edition at this point and it's The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal book. Looks at it from the manager perspective and the technician perspective and which one you are and that helps you determine your course of action for your business. But mm-hmm. that book really was instrumental for me but also the development of a network And mine was through the Toronto chapter initially of Landscape Ontario.
1: Yeah. I remember Jackie Hart had recommended that book and I went and bought it and I read it. And I just remember like coming back to Marlon, like, this is us. Like, I'm the technician and here's why this is not going well. It's because of me. (laughs) And it was like relieving at one point, but then it was guilt at the other. I'm like, I have created all these issues, but just understanding that someone was talking my language, right? And one of my highest book recommendations, it's exciting to see that. That book has touched a lot of people for sure. It,
2: It has. And I've given it to new business owners. I've said, here, read this. You need to read this book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay, so just that answer to that question kind of leads in perfectly to your current role, at Landscape Ontario. But give us a history of how did you get involved with Landscape Ontario? Where did that look like? And just kind of take us through to where your current role is at LO.
2: Okay, it's pretty funny because I've been involved in LO since I was a student. So I was I was a student rep at Humber. And then when I was starting my business, I thought, well, I can't do this by myself. I need to get some information. So I went to LO and they said, well, join the Toronto chapter. And, you know, a lot of this was so I go to the Toronto chapter meetings and they're doing elections and Bob Tubby goes, oh, you should come on to the board. <laughs> I'm like, OK. So I've really been involved with Landscape Ontario since since I started over 20 years ago. I spent a lot of years through the Toronto chapter and then was provincial board rep and then came onto the board, left, came back onto the the provincial board, and I've sort of worked my way around and about through various committees and through the executive, and I'm in halfway through the first year of a two-year term as president.
1: Okay. So as president then, yes. lots of transition at landscape Ontario, yes. lots of new staff, exciting times, totally retiring – What's your vision? What are you hoping to do with your term?
2: It's been phenomenal so far. I think you sort of hit it there is that there's been so much growth. And as a result of that, the board has become much, much more engaged. And there's a lot of growth happening with committees and ad hoc committees and and looking at everything from governance to diversity, inclusion and belonging to even the communications committee and and new membership committee so there's a lot of progressive committee work being done also all the bylaws have to be redone and that's because of changes in legislation all not for profits have to have new have to have new updated bylaws so there's a whole bylaw committee and out of that language changes and so there's there's a lot of growth but at the board level with the sector groups and the chapters and our members at large. And, and my favorite thing that is happening is the dialogue and the conversations that are going on. There is a great amount of respect for the people that sit on the board. I just, they're phenomenal individuals and in the amount of time that they volunteer mm-hmm. and the conversations that are coming out of our meetings now are propelling the organization forward. So it's very strong. There's not there's not rubber stamping or just a core group making decisions. It's very forward and progressive organization right now and it's being led by the board and with uh, Joe Salemi coming in and just the direction that he has he has taken it with the two years he was there with Tony and how they've moved the organization forward and how it's just going to Propel into the next 10, 20, 30 years. It's
0: phenomenal.
1: What an amazing opportunity for that transition to happen, right? Like, you know, Tony is such a legacy with us as contractors, and then Joe coming in and just almost the perfect timing of during COVID and stuff like that opportunities to attend some of the board meetings and again the you you hit it like so many of these people are sharing so much wisdom with the industry and again at volunteer level right like they're giving up of their time they're away from their businesses and there's just so much to learn from them so yeah. so i guess Lindsay explain if there's a contractor out there that's not involved in anything landscape Ontario right now mm-hmm. give them a sales pitch why should they become involved <laughs> why why do they need to volunteer and to help and what's the ROI there because you've seen it you've yeah. you hinted at it a couple times but
2: yeah so i think the biggest things are your networking opportunities your education opportunities whether it's through the winter workshops or congress Phenomenal opportunity to do education and networking together and the benefits that you get from being a member of LO, whether it is just for the GM truck discount or if it's for your phone discount or or gas card. But I think the biggest thing is your networking opportunity. We are a profession that is so caring and sharing. Sounds like, you know, the Care Bears. But yeah. We do. We care tremendously for the success of the profession. We don't want to see people fail. We want to lift people up so that they succeed and they're successful and that their staff are successful. And you do that through networking and learning. There's always something to be learned in a conversation. Even the minorest thing, you can go, oh, I'm going to remember that. I just learned about a thing that TELUS is doing. You know, you can have multiple tele... Anyway, it's convoluted. But there's always something to be learned from a conversation with somebody else through Mm -hmm. Landscape Ontario or through the profession in general.
1: Yeah. I grew up in Landscape Ontario. Like, obviously, I grew up in Ontario. I assumed that Landscape Ontario was the norm other industries had these type of associations other provinces had this type of thing and and when we started next right an opportunity to do a bunch of speaking with one of our suppliers and going to Michigan and New York and other provinces mm-hmm. and and so many people were like so amazed at the size of landscape ontario and the off the services we offer and i was blown away how big and how successful landscape ontario is and and just a volunteer network where yeah. i just assumed other provinces had that type of programming and education and and a congress right and, mm-hmm. and we're spoiled um, we are in Ontario for what it is and for the <laughs> yeah. staff and so again it's just if you've grown up around it This resource is unique to our industry and into our market. So you need to take advantage of that for sure. So
2: definitely. Yeah. And it's funny. You just you were just talking about as a president, I've been I was fortunate to to go to Chicago to attend the 2020 Great Lakes Leadership Conference. It's the landscape associations that are around the Great Lakes. And it's it's amazing, you know, like the U.S., we're by far the largest one with the, the most staff and some of the most progressive programming and and commitment than some of the other organizations. I was really surprised at how small some of them are and, and how many members we have versus how many members some of them have. But it was, you know, that was a great learning opportunity in general and going to Chicago was a definite benefit being of networking and first time I've been out of the country in a few years.
1: <laughs> awesome. So we ask all of our guests as we close down. So you've already kind of answered one question already, but what is one habit or book that you're reading? So you kind of talked about E-Myth. Is there a habit in there that has helped you as a role, whether it's your personal life or your, in your business life as an owner?
2: Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things is it's as a business owner, it's really hard to turn off your brain. So you have to schedule shutdown time. Yeah, I'm fortunate I have a cottage up north. So in the summertime, sometimes I'll go up there and work, but I try to do something completely for myself, at least on the weekend. Whether or not it's like paddling or if it's reading or doing a puzzle, something that's totally disconnected from work, mm-hmm. even if it's just for a couple of hours, I think yeah. it's really yeah. important. But I do have a really good book. Okay. No, another another good book. Okay, yeah, we'll take a second. It's one. called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Mm-hmm. It's a short book. It's kind of a story format about a company and everything that goes wrong and how, it, how the CEO helps the teams correct themselves. It's a really good read, and I got it from Joe Salemi. Is it a Max
1: Licato book?
2: Patrick Patrick
1: Lencioni, yeah, that's
2: right. Lencioni, thank you.
1: Okay, good. And then what's one thing you're currently learning from?
2: Always the peer-to-peer. Look forward to going to the session in November. Always learning. I have a really tight crew of female business owners that we've met through peer-to-peer, and I think that our relationship has been... uh, has been really strong. And we always bounce ideas off of each other. So I'm always learning from them.
1: And then what's one thing or two things, I won't hold you just to one that you're currently thankful for.
2: I think my team here at the office, definitely. And I'm really into teams. So I love the team that I've got through Landscape Ontario and the board. I think they're just amazing. And then my team here, just watching them grow over the last few years. I'm so proud of them. So I'm very thankful for them. And then I have, I have great family support too. So it's, it's been a, a hard year and it's been really nice to have some great support from my family and best friends
1: awesome well again thank you so much Lindsay, for taking your time i know it's busy time of year but looking forward to seeing you at some upcoming events it'd be great to have congress again to see everyone i'm so looking forward to yeah just catching up and seeing someone not necessarily on a zoom call but actually in person yeah and just for dinners and talks in the hallway and stuff like that so
2: absolutely i look forward to seeing you there too grant
1: awesome thanks Lindsay.
2: thank you
0: Wasn't that a great episode? I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Before you go, we want to tell you about a free webinar we're hosting in January to discuss common HR and operational pitfalls. We'll be talking about increasing performance, productivity, and accountability in both HR and operations. Some of the topics we'll cover in HR are hiring, onboarding, and evaluations, KPIs, scorecards, and training, health and safety compliance, discipline process methods, and legal compliance. For operations, we'll be talking about onboarding implementation, how to conduct an evaluation, how to motivate and create culture, health and safety training, conflict resolution, and how to have difficult conversations. As you can see, it is going to be an hour full of practical information and tools to help you increase performance, productivity, and accountability in your team. I know it seems like January is a long way away, but it's really not. So mark January 19th at 11 o'clock on your calendar for this free one-hour webinar. To register, just email events at nextraconsulting.ca and we will send you the link for the webinar. Again, the email address is events at nextraconsulting.ca. We'll see you next time.